We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. I'm Public Affairs Officer Taylor Henry, and with me today is Father Robert Bruno, a retired colonel in the United States Air Force and Air Force chaplain. Welcome, Father Bruno. Thank you. Uh, tell us about your uh, your vocation, how you came to find your vocation as a priest, and how you wound up in the Air Force. Okay. Well, I come from a little town in northeastern Ohio and just south of Youngstown, a little place called East Palestine. And uh, we, were, we were part of the Our Lady of Lords Catholic community there, and we had a grade school. Uh, and I was... Um, in sixth grade in grade school at Our Lady of Lords back in the 1950s when I pretty much figured out what God had called me to do in life. I knew at age 12 that I was called to be a priest. Uh, a year or two later, the uh, Franciscans from a nearby friary, OFM Franciscans, uh, began to assist our parish uh, because the pastor, Monsignor Joseph Hyde, was um, getting up in years and no longer able to carry the load entirely by himself. So that's where I was inter, in, where I was inter, uh, introduced to the to the friars, and uh, so I became a Franciscan friar, solemnly professed in 1973, and I continued my journey to the priesthood and uh, was ordained in uh, June of 1977. And how long did your career in the Air Force span, and how did you come to the Air Force? Well, uh, in those interim years in in formation and seminary, there were three friars from my community who were in. Uh, in the chaplain corps, two were in the Air Force and one were in the Army. One was in the Army. And so uh, uh, over the years, uh, I had stayed in touch with them, and one of them used to send a Christmas card with a newsletter in every year, and I always looked forward to it because it was always exciting. His ministry was to young airmen, young uh, people, young singles. Uh, they traveled the world, uh, young families, and, um, and I just found it fascinating. So I served for three years in civilian ministry, and um, as I was coming to an assignment change opportunity in 1980, I began to, uh, to chat with them. And uh, the two guys in the Air Force said, Bob, we think you'd be a perfect fit for this. Come in for two or three assignments, give it five or six years. And if it doesn't work out, at least you can say you tried it. So I thought, okay. And then I talked to the, our chaplain in the Army, and he said, go Air Force. And I thought, okay, well, that's pretty simple. So I ultimately uh, applied for and was accepted into the Air Force as a, as a young captain back in 1980, never expecting to stay more than five or six or so years, and 34 years somehow just flew by. And before I knew it, it was over with. Um, and um, but I have, uh, it was the absolute perfect fit for me. Um, the, minute, the energy of young people is certainly uh, contagious, I think it's kept me young spiritually, physically, uh, in all different kinds of ways. So um, I ended up staying till 30, 34 years and retired a little over two years ago and um, still have wonderful memories and, uh, and wonderful relationships with many of those people. I want to fast forward to your last duty station, mm -hmm. uh, the Air Force Academy. It was your second tour there. You were the lead chaplain, Correct. Uh, known as the Air Force Academy chaplain. Correct. And during that time, uh, Mickey Weinstein's group, the religious, the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, uh, launched an aggressive initiative to, what, stamp out any reference to God, to Jesus, 
in ceremonies at the Air Force Academy? I'm sure if you asked him that that was what his plan was, he would deny it. But the practical impact of it was to uh, chill the air of public expression of religion uh, in the name of uh, his clients who felt they were being oppressed by that. So what it really amounts to, and continues to amount to, is a bit of what I call a creative tension in our Constitution, and I believe put deliberately there by our nation's forebears. A creative tension, on the one hand, between the free exercise of religion, not worship, religion, that's the word the Constitution uses, and the the, um, prohibition against the establishment of religion. Therein lies the creative tension. And it's it's going to go back and forth depending on individuals and circumstances and situations and so on. Um, I won't go into the entire history of it, but um, the situation that I walked into and and the superintendent who uh, arrived just a month before I did in the summer of 2009, Lieutenant General Michael Gould, that situation had been existing for about three or four years and had been percolating and boiling over. And, and so it became um, uh, just a bone of contention that simply would not go away and it was constantly generating negative publicity that the Pentagon was getting a little tired of and were uh, trying to encourage uh, General Gould to help find a way to resolve this. So. We began with the involvement of the Anti-Defamation League from the Denver chapter. We invited them down to the academy in Colorado Springs as a respected, uh, responsible, and credible outside organization or agency uh, whose expertise was in the matters of of, uh, religion and religious freedom. So they helped us to get started on what ultimately became known as the Religious Respect Training Program. Let me interrupt just for a moment before we move forward with that. What exactly was it that Weinstein and his group was trying to do? Well, they would tell you that um, their clients felt like uh, the Academy was a religious um, uh, hothouse, if you will, um, uh, where, where um, uh, the religion or the issues of religion and free exercise of religion were exercising an undue influence on the institution and on everyone there. And exactly what is it that he wanted the Air Force to quit doing? He wanted almost a complete disconnect between the institution and any uh, any aspect of religion. He wanted a complete secular uh, institution, which in and of itself is legitimate. But I would tell you that um, the claim that th- there was an overt religious affinity uh, of the institution uh, with any organized religion, in my experience there in the time I was there, was blatantly false. And what we heard at the time was he was trying to take the phrase, so help me God, out of the pledge. Well, that would be one of the things he was trying to do. There, we have on the academy campus what's called a prep or a preparatory school. And um, uh, the issue at hand at that time was not so much a, an oath as it was a pledge. It was an informal kind of a thing. It carried no formal um, 
impact to it, but it had those last three words, so help me God, and he was determined that things like that should be removed um, from any public expression of religion. And that's, that's I would say, when you, when you take it all together, it was the effort, the concerted effort between his organization, his clientele, any publicity that he could generate, and the threat of lawsuit to remove any overt public expression of religion. So it went beyond just the, um, the, the, the association of the institution with it. It went beyond that uh, to an, almost an outright fear, threat, and intimidation that if you in any way, shape, or form gave public witness to your faith, you can count on a challenge. And if you don't respond, you can count on a lawsuit. And he did file a lawsuit. And he did. Um, he did as a result uh, of, a, of a speaker uh, that we had invited to to be the the keynote speaker at a national prayer luncheon celebration that we were hosting in February, I believe it was 2011, it was either 2011 or 2012, and right not too long before that, he had issued he done something similar. A gentleman by the name of Franklin Graham, son son of uh, Billy Graham, had been invited by the Pentagon to be their keynote speaker for their national prayer luncheon. Uh, gathering in, uh, I think it may have been the year before that. And uh, so the publicity for that had gone out, and he issued the same threat to them. He thought that uh, Mr. Graham was just a little too evangelical, and he demanded that the Pentagon rescind the invitation, and he threatened a lawsuit with them. Uh, the Pentagon caved and rescinded the, invo- uh, the invitation. So uh, when the Pentagon caved, then, of course, we were the next uh, issue that come up on the radar and this sort of thing. And so we got the same threat, uh, a two-page uh, uh, letter uh, that was sent from him, uh, bypassed us, went directly to the Air Force Chief of Staff, which is the ranking four-star uh, commander of the Air Force, demanding that uh, the Air Force Academy rescind the invitation to the speaker that we had invited. And... Um, so the issue was given to us at the academy to resolve it, and the chief would, was prepared to support whatever decision we came to. And uh, so we discussed it as the, as the senior staff of the academy, and my argument was quite simple. In the Air Force, we have three core values, integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. And every second of every minute of every hour of every day in the life of every cadet at the institution, and there's, at that time were 4,500 of them. We, the institution, hold them accountable for how they exercise those core values. And integrity is defined as doing the right thing when no one is looking or when the whole world is looking. So though our legal counsel, our JAG Corps, was advising us to go down a path of the least potential for litigation, my response to that was, well, that might be the legally correct thing to do. The question I'll ask is, does that make it the right thing to do? Because that's what we hold 4,500 cadets accountable for, doing the right thing. We came to the conclusion that it was that doing the legal thing was not the right thing to do, and the superintendent made the decision to go to court. And what was the outcome of that? The outcome was that we won. Essentially, the, the judge, it was a woman judge, uh, after several hours of, I think maybe possibly two days of inquiry, 
determined that he brought insufficient evidence of his uh, charges that um, that we uh, that, that the speaker was an inappropriate selection and that it, re- it represented um, oppression to people who were not people of faith. It was Weinstein, she said, that brought That is correct. Okay. He brought, essentially, as I recall the details, folders, about five or ten files, all named John Doe, with Social Security numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they were, and, and his, his argument, I believe, was that he had to do that to protect the, the, uh, the privacy of those individuals, and the judge did not accept that. Was this suit filed in federal court? It was filed in the Federal District Court of Denver, Colorado. Okay, so um, let's pick back up where you were saying that you had started a program or an initiative to encourage respect. Right. The program that we developed is now called the Religious Respect Training Program, and it is essentially built on an ethic of respect, something that anybody, person of faith or no faith, can buy into. And... The ethic is, if you want respect shown you, then you owe it. No one gets entitlement without responsibility. You know, uh, an entitlement without obligation is not sustainable. If you want it, you owe it. It doesn't make any difference whether you're Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, person of faith or no faith. Atheist, uh, atheist, secularist, freethinker, or humanist. It makes no difference. It's an ethic that anybody can buy into. And so we built the program on that. And it's leveled at, at multiple age groups. It is scenario-based and is designed to promote discussion. For example, the most vulnerable people on the Air Force Academy are the freshmen. We call them dualies. So their training module was from the perspective of someone who would be victimized because they were the at the bottom of the pole, if you will. So someone of a more senior rank, whether it's a cadet or an officer or faculty, comes up to them with an issue of religion and wants to kind of intentionally or otherwise use their seniority to advance some matter of religion. What does a cadet who's a freshman, what what options do they have to respond to that? So we would take them through four or five training scenarios. The scenarios are actually real life experiences that we change the names and and details of to protect those folks, to protect their privacy. But we kept the the, uh, the guts, if you will, of of the scenario. And they turned out to be excellent training modules. So that's how we trained the freshmen, as opposed to the seniors. Their training modules based on being somebody in charge because the whole institution is all about preparing you know young airmen to be commissioned officers uh, you think about it when as soon as a second uh, uh, as soon as a, a senior graduates from any of our service academies but I'll speak for the air force and is commissioned a second lieutenant they immediately outrank 80% of the air force so our task is to prepare them for that so Here's a senior now who is is responsible, has got responsibilities to be in charge of a group of people. And an issue of religious um, uh, violation or or freedom or oppression comes up. All right? What's your responsibility? What are your options? How would you approach resolution? So we set up several scenarios 
you know, with a follow-up series of questions that are designed to avoid asking yes or no, asking questions that are yes or no answers as opposed to why would you do that? What's the reason for that? Is there a better way to, 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 to do this? So it's designed to, to promote discussion and to, and to develop a sense of, uh, of uh, comfort in, in resolving issues around an ethic of respect. And a balance, I suppose, between opportunistic proselytizing and preserving the right to, of cadets to exercise their exercise religion. their right. And it comes down to, um, you know, as I say, a creative tension uh, in the Constitution between the free exercise of religion and the prohibition against the establishment of religion. It's a creative tension. And we will always have to be careful in how we walk that tension when we are on a government installation that is taxpayer-funded. That's where we have to be, you know, it's a different issue if you're in your own civilian church or religious community, but when you run a a taxpayer-funded government institution, that's where that creative tension has to be carefully leveraged. So how did you leave things at the Air Force Academy when you retired a little over two years ago? I was extended four years past mandatory retirement by the Secretary of the Air Force in order to help us get to resolution. So I, I would have normally, at my rank, been expected to retire at 30 years, which would have been 2010. But we, the Air Force asked me to extend two years twice to, until we got to resolution. By the time of um, uh, the end of 2013 going into uh, the academic year 2014, we had completed all of the modules. We had modules for the freshmen, sophomore, sophomores, juniors, seniors. We were also asked by senior leadership at the Pentagon to uh, move it into the department, uh, the, the dean of the faculty, because there were some issues there among our, our professional cadre of educators, both uh, military and civilian. So we developed modules for them that we were asked to carry it into the director of athletics. There were some issues there, so we developed training modules for that. So it took all of the five years that I was there to get all of that developed. So by the time I was about eight months out from retirement, the final phase, the final check block here, was to take the Religious Respect Training Program, or the, R, uh, the RRTP, and have the, the superintendent sign it into what's called commissioning um, education requirement. And what that essentially means is no cadet can graduate from the United States Air Force Academy without going through this program as freshmen, sophomores, juniors, or seniors at each echelon of their time at the academy. They can't graduate without it. When that was signed, I prayed the prayer of Simeon. Now, Lord, you can dismiss me and retire me in peace because I've done everything I can do <laughs> to turn this institution around and to point it to the wind and, and change a, uh, not just change, a cult, uh, change an institution, but we change the culture. And these cadets now will go out into the service and they'll be trained. They'll have this training under their belt to know how to handle. Well, that's the, our hope, and we will see. Okay, um, you know, the first graduates to come through that really started graduating somewhere around 2013, 2014. 
at the earliest. And so we'll see as those young officers grow up how they handle issues, uh, issues and challenges of uh, matters of religion. But even after you left the Air Force Academy, you didn't really retire, did you? Well, I, I took a sabbatical year. Um, my Franciscan provincial uh, had asked me, well, what would you like to do? And I said, well, number one, I'd like to have a sabbatical year. And he says, you've earned that, you've got it. And so I went off to Rome for about three months and then to Florence for another couple of months. And uh, so that was from roughly September of 2014 to, to August of 2015. And then he asked, uh, what would you like to do next? And I said, well, I would like to find some way to continue uh, providing pastoral care and support either to our service personnel as a contract priest or as a uh, GS priest or to, as a chaplain in our veterans' hospitals for our, our, our veterans. And so, uh, so he gave me the blessing. He and the council blessed that effort. They said basically I'd be the only guy doing that, and they'd be proud to support it. So uh, ultimately, that led to um, uh, Langley Air Force Base, where I signed in there on the 23rd of uh, January 2017, and just the very beginning of my tenure there as the, uh, the Catholic priest for Our Lady Queen of Peace uh, Catholic Community at Langley Air Force Base, Virginia. Remarkable story. Father Robert Bruno, retired chaplain colonel in the United States Air Force, thank you so much for talking with me today. You're very welcome, Taylor.